The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Patria Vandermark. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How goes it, Patria? Everything's great on this end. It's something like early summer here in the greater Boston area. Really? Everyone's out riding, and it's, it's fairly dry now. Uh, I'm sad we don't have snow, but at the same time, I've been doing some beach riding in order to make up for the lack of fluff and <laughs> the, the winter and I'll look forward to winter next month. Hopefully. How warm How is you? it there? Oh goodness. It's probably in the forties. Oh, <laughs> oh it, it, that's really warm for us. <laughs> right. No, I, yeah, I wasn't sure just how warm, warm was. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, see, we're having January yesterday or, or yeah, yesterday and Saturday, the high was like 75. Oh, OK. Well, that puts our warmth in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's relative, nice, so... right? It's relative. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm curious. So riding a fat bike on a beach and riding a fat bike on snow, how how does that feel change? What, you know, what is that experience in terms of like turning and rolling resistance? How do they differ? That's a it's a good question. It, it feels very similar with the floatiness and depending on where you are in the sand, because if you're up uh, further away from the water, then it's really fluffy, uh, just soft sand. So that mm -hmm. feels a lot like snow in getting through and rolling resistance and all that. And then as you go toward the water, that feels a lot more like concrete almost. I mean, it's not that hard, of uh -huh. course. But you roll a lot faster. And then there's every gradient in between of how easy or hard it is. Uh -huh. Turning, that sort of thing. I think it really probably depends on the beach where you're at. Uh, we were riding on some trails and some some just neat banks of sand. And I felt like, wow, I just expected the bike to be sliding. And mm -hmm. there was some off camber stuff that uh, we were on. And I was expecting to be sliding. And it looked very weird. It's a bit disorienting also. It, this was a night ride that it did last night. So you hear water. You don't see water. I'm looking to see just what my light's showing me. So really, really disorienting. But I felt like I was going to be sliding down. If that were snow, I would have been sliding. And the bike was just staying right where it had it. Mm -hmm. And so I think I think there's a lot of uh, your, your grip could be really good. And this is weather worn sand. So that's fairly packed, uh -huh. I would suppose. And this was a soft, soft, very, very fine sandy beach. And, and, and that was the nature of this particular beach. Not a lot of rocks. Hmm. I don't know. I'm learning all about this. This is now <laughs> my third or fourth beach ride of my entire life. 
Oh, okay. so it's, it's it's cool because it's new uh, and to be bringing this in to this, this life where I thought I knew all cycling. And now it's like, oh, my gosh, there's <laughs> this whole world I've I've completely missed my whole life. Uh huh. Huh. Very cool. So yeah. it's neat. You know, I got to scratch that. I need to ride on the snow itch and I am still planning on doing the fat pursuit uh-huh. challenge of 60 K on snow before the end of the month. <laughs> but this is it's it. There's, it's definitely going to involve a drive, and it looks like we can probably cross over a border into some neighboring states because of like COVID restrictions and stay away from people and everything. So I think it's uh-huh. possible. Wow! But yeah, so that's that's every, a lot of people are walking around here really saying, "Hey, where, where's the snow? We really, really want some snow." <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. We've had Januarys like this before, and February February typically brings the snow if we don't see it in January. So it's it's all good. People are happy. It's uh-huh. nice to see the sunshine and COVID's COVID's having a really big effect on people. So I think it's it's worth stating if you are out there feeling really bad because you're stuck inside, you haven't seen people in a while and, and just you're depressed with COVID. There's a lot of people I'm working with right now who are really not feeling well because mm. of it. So you're not alone. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a difficult situation. Um I am at least hearing from friends. My, my friends who work in healthcare are beginning to get their vaccines. Uh, most of them have gotten their second shot by now. Ah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing that here as well. Uh, I've seen, I have a family member who volunteers at the VA and this is in Colorado and he's got his first shot and has lined up for the second shot. So that's great to see a lot of healthcare workers here have it. And then just hoping all the older people start to get their shots because yeah. of course those, those are the people we're most worried about and people who are immune compromised so we're crossing our fingers and i mean everyone's talking about it when they get those shots and how how things will change in so many people's lives yeah well hey so what you got for us this week this week we're talking about something i've been wanting to talk about for a really long time but i wanted to save it for when it's appropriate just mm-hmm. now that we're talking about spring and upgrading bikes Gearing. Now, have you thought about going lower with the gears on your bike? This is mm. something a lot of people are talking about doing. And now I think it's a good time to talk about it, whether you're looking for a new bike or you're looking to upgrade your current bike. The so first lower gears means it's easier on the hills and higher gears means it's faster. So as we're talking about lower that's when your chain moves up the cassette into the bigger cogs. And if you're riding a two by system, your chain is in the smaller of the two chain rings. So that's that's a lower gear where it's easier on the hills. Cyclists are coming around to seeing that lower gears translate to being able to ride longer and faster. Exceptionally strong cyclists are starting to use really low gears and it's interesting because we've been talking about the granny gear for so long. I think people forget when you say granny gear, what that actually means. You're talking about <laughs> that easiest gear on your bike that granny would need to get up a hill. So that's not exactly a nice term for that gear. But now there are quite a few very strong cyclists who are seeking low gears because it means that your legs are not your muscles are not being tapped as much so that. As long as you're eating, you can ride further for a lot of these endurance events. You're just able to go go further and faster. It's translating to speed as well. 
gravel, the whole gravel world, gravel events has been a really big driver also for for these lower gears. Yeah. The one way to get lower gears on your bike is to go with the SRAM mullet setup. SRAM did not call it mullet. I don't know who did, but (laughs) this is now the term for what is now pairing the road wireless drop bar shifter levers. So this is the force axis or red axis level levers. Pairing this with SRAM's mountain bike XX1 or X01 wireless electronic derailleur in the rear. So this has to be a one by setup, meaning that you have to have a single chain ring in the front. The mountain bike derailleur has a roller bearing clutch to keep the derailleur and chain from bouncing around. And it allows up to a range of from a 10 tooth, so that's the smallest cog, up to a 52 tooth cassette. And the mullet is 12 speed. So we're only talking about those components to, <laughs> working together. Now, in the past, one by systems have been seen as more specific to cyclocross, mm-hmm. that it hasn't offered the range cyclists need for either road applications or the diversity that most gravel cyclists see when they ride, which is a mix of road and mixed terrain, so on and off road. And these one by systems have been seen to be lacking on either the high or the low end. So you might get one extreme or the other, but not both. I've been riding a mullet setup on my Seven Cycles Evergreen XX gravel bike since August of 2019. So I have a lot to say about it. (laughs) I've spent a lot of time on this setup. Prior to this, I was running a Shimano Ultegra Di2 electronic 2 by setup on my gravel bike. So I think this is a very valid comparison. Same bike setup with actually very similar gearing uh, in, in terms of range between the two mm-hmm. and also electronic. So this is mostly an apples to apples comparison in my life. I ride my Evergreen mostly for gravel and mixed terrain rides though I've done plenty of road rides on it and training rides on it as well. I moved to the mullet drivetrain originally because my Evergreen is an SNS coupled bike and I wanted it to be as easy as possible to pack in a small case for airline travel. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I wanted the fewest parts and quickest breakdown and setup of the bike. It takes me about 15 minutes to pack it into its little travel case, which is a Comotion co-pilot case. <laughs> And about 15 minutes to set it back up again. Wow. This is quick. This is a very, that's very quick. Yeah. Most SNS coupled bikes take about, and my previous bike, the way I had it set up, um, I'd say about 45 minutes <laughs> to break it down and set it up again. And I've done that quite a few times. I've also done it with many customers who order these bikes. So I'm good at it, which means I should be a little bit more a little quicker at it and I'm usually late for the airplane or, <laughs> or <laughs> late to getting to the group ride that happens entirely too much in my life. So that's that was my driver to get those those gears. Also having low gearing was is very important to me <laughs> because most of my rides are either really long and they're very tiring so I want my legs to be fresh as long as I possibly can get them. To be on a lot of my travels have taken me to places with extremely steep climbs. Uh, Lake Garda is a good example. 
that was uh, one of my last trips pre the world changed and we can't get on planes anymore uh, where you just needed the lowest gears you could possibly get in order to climb the mountains out of the lake, which was beautiful. I highly recommend going there. Side note. So the, I've found that the cr- shifting on the mullet setup to be crisp. It's perfect every time. I trust the, der- the derailleur to shift every time I hit the lever button. Absolutely every time. It has never missed a shift. The battery, which is tiny, lasts substantially long. The whole set- setup, because it's one by and has fewer parts, it's easy to clean. Like My bike in general is easy to clean, easy to deal with. And I really love the range of gearing. I started with a 44 tooth chainring originally, and then I switched to a 40 tooth chainring on the bike. I found the 44 tooth to be very adequate. It, it's great for almost everything that a typical person is going to do in typical gravel or road riding. I think 20, 44 is, is really good. I spec that on most new bikes that have a mullet setup. Mm-hmm. However, I switched to 40 tooth because after doing a 160 mile gravel ride, the 44 tooth was a little tiring on some of those last hills. So I went to 40 tooth. I'm not going to miss the higher gears. And I definitely say, hey, if I can go lower, might as well. Mm-hmm. So SRAM, SRAM's Force One Axis crank sets pair really well with the system, which I suppose this makes sense. There are other crank sets on the market right now. I'm using an Easton crank set. I would, though, recommend using the Force One crank set. One of the things I really like about it is when you order the crank set, it comes with chain rings from 36 to 46 teeth with two tooth jumps. So in other words, 36, 38, 40, 42, 44 or 46. So these are all good options depending on the kind of riding you like to do. So you don't have to pay more to get the right chain ring. And then if you do decide you want a different chain ring, you can get that and put it on the crank set. And most people don't change their chain rings around on a regular basis. If you are one of those people, that would be a reason to go with the Easton crank set. Uh, I have had some warranty issues with the crank sets, so I don't Mm. steer people in that direction. Another thing about the crank set that I like is it's very easy to add the cork power meter spider to the system. Yeah. And that I've found to be really good and to have seen a lot of power meters on the market. And the cork has my highest respect. It lasts a long time with the battery. I have not seen any warranty issues with it. And we have quite a few of these on bikes. So I feel like that's an easy to stand behind power meter. And then you can add it in the future. You don't have to have it on day one of your crank set. If you don't know whether or not you're gonna, going to want a power meter in the future. Um, then for the cassette. Now, the cassette is where things get very interesting with <laughs> the mullet. SRAM offers a range of cassettes that you can use. Now, as weights on the cassettes go down, the prices go up. The XX1 cassettes, which is most notably beautiful with the rainbow rainbow oil flick color scheme, <laughs> doesn't add anything to the quality or anything else. It just looks really cool. It's a $450 cassette. You can get this at a 10 to 50 tooth range or a 10 to 52 tooth range now. And it's 374 grams. And I know a lot of people don't speak grams or understand what this means. To put it in perspective, an 11 speed, 1134 tooth Ultegra level 
Shimano cassette is 335 grams. That's a typical cassette now for new road bikes. That's or gravel bikes, I should say. Um, so that's 35 grams different. So 0.09 pounds for a huge gearing difference. And then obviously you're losing the weight of not having to have that second chain ring on the crank set. You're losing the weight of not needing a front derailleur, front derailleur clamp. All of those things now are dropping off the bike weight wise, which is beneficial. The you can go with a, a different level cassette, though. You don't have to go with that highest end one. If you wanted to go, say, with the GX cassettes, that's the lowest end 1050 option. And when I say lowest end, that 10th tooth that gives you a little higher gearing is substantially higher than an 11 tooth. This is maybe a t- conversation for another day when we want to talk about gearing specifically. That could easily be a whole pull, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> so when you're talking between 10 and 11, that's a big jump and helps a lot with the higher gearing that road riders generally look for. Now that GX cassette is $215 and 450 grams. So a little bit heavier, but you do save some money going that direction. You can do that. This is all, this is all compatible. Now on the compatibility front, these require an XDR free hub uh, body on your rear wheel. Some wheels can be converted easily, though most free hubs aren't particularly cheap. They're typically in the $60 to $100 range, depending on what kind of wheel you have. But you would want to make sure that your wheel can be converted. Now, if your wheel can't be converted, all is not lost. Sunrace offers a 12-speed 1150 tooth cassette that works on a Shimano free hub body. Hmm. And the Shimano free hub body is what most people are riding. Unless you're a campy uh, user, your bike has Campagnolo components on it. If it's an older bike, it probably has a Shimano free up on it. So this cassette is much more reasonably priced, but it's also 586 grams. So you've definitely added some weight to your bike. But it allows you to use wheels you already own, which is a a big, big plus. Right. So that's a big savings for sure. Right. Makes it a lot easier to do this conversion. And then when it comes to weight versus gearing, I would go with lower gearing before the weight. Oh, yeah. I think you're going to see a lot bigger gains with the lower gears rather than losing the few grams off your bike. Uh, There's a you know, there's a lot of math out there that shows what weight and all the stuff does. But most people are not climbing straight up mountains. It depends (laughs) where you live. If you're in a really mountainous area and you're climbing up a lot, the weight is going to make a difference. But if you're in a flatter area like New England, weight means less. And that lower gearing means a lot more. So the mullet system is one of the easiest drivetrains to incorporate onto an existing bike, as we've been discussing, because it's wireless, except for the hydraulic hoses for brakes, or it can also be run with cable actuated brakes, depending on the levers that you get. Now, along with the free hub on your rear wheel, if you're going to go with the hydraulic brakes, be sure to know if you have a post mount or a flat mount frame and fork. This is a big gotcha. If you have post mount frame and fork, you can't go with the force brakes because those are flat mount and there is not a an adapter to go from a flat mount caliper to a post mount frame. That doesn't exist. Uh, on the red level, there are calipers that are post mount. So you would want to look into that. 
work with your bike shop. They should be able to help you out with this. One of the downsides to the huge cassette is likely bigger jumps in the gears. Mm-hmm. So this is the th- one of the biggest things that's kept roadies away from going with a one by setup. <sighs> so that we, on a road bike, when you have that two by, you really you've gotten used to ha- being in the perfect cadence and pe- uh, pedaling along in that perfect gear. So we might miss that nuance a little bit between the two by and the one by. Potentially. So especially if you've been running, say, an 1128 tooth cassette or 1130 tooth cassette, those are the cassettes that have a one tooth jump in on the higher gears. And it's when you're in the higher gears, in other words, the harder gears, the ones where you're pushing when you're on a flat road or you're descending, where you have those one tooth jumps. And that's where you're looking for that slight nuance. When you go up to the, the bigger parts of your cassettes, you're no longer looking for the nuance as much. You're looking for bailout. <laughs> you know, again, mm-hmm. that's when you're like, hey, where's my granny gear? I just need to get up this hill. You stop worrying about being in that perfect cadence and pedaling along. But that's what you're doing on the flats, on those those higher gears. So you may be one of those people. It's good to pay attention when you're out riding your bike. Where are you? In your gears. Are you noticing that nuance or not? You may not. And now, like if you say you're going with an 1134 tooth Shimano cassette, if that's what you've been riding, there's big jumps, like two tooth jumps in those gears, too. So that's not different from what you're going to find on that. Even though the cassette is huge, there's only two tooth jumps on the lower or sorry, on the yes, on the lower end. Apologies on the higher end on that cassette and then it jumps to three tooth jumps and then it goes to much bigger so we're talking um the three tooth jumps go between the 18th and a 28 tooth cogs Mm -hmm. and then you go 32 teeth 36 42 and then that 42 jumps to either 50 if you're a 50 tooth cassette or 52 so you see where that's a bailout you're jumping those 10 teeth all at once And that's fine because you're climbing up a very steep mountain and you're really hoping that gear is there for you. And you're not thinking about nuance at that point. So now that the mullet is really coming into its own in the gravel world, it's simple. You don't have a front derailleur to rip off if it's muddy and gross in Kansas, especially you hear these stories about people ripping off whole derailleurs. Um, The front derailleur can definitely get in the way. You want something strong. That rear derailleur is very strong. It does a really nice job of surviving difficult conditions, being crashed, running into trees, those sorts of things. So it's a system I believe you can trust and is definitely worth looking at putting on a bike. Very cool. What do you how would you uh, react to that from the gearing and in your cycling situations that you've been in? So living here in Sonoma County, where uh, an 8% climb is gentle <laughs> and <laughs> very frequently, you know, I'm encountering, uh, 14, 16, 18%, 22%. Uh, so I am somebody who's with you. I like having the low gears because I need to be able to spin. You know, there's, there's a mountain near me. Uh, it's a 2000 foot climb and there are long, long stretches that are North of 12%. I'd say half mm-hmm. that climb is north of 12%. 
And there's no way to power that. Uh, yeah. And so I have to go with lower gears. The problem I have with this setup uh, is the way it's pitched to people. And I don't think that the component manufacturers are being really straight with people. They'll talk about it's got, you know, a range of 500%. It's just as much as you would get with two chain rings and a, you know, whatever cassette. It's like, well, okay, that's true. But part of the beauty of having a front derailleur is that you can use that cassette with more closely spaced jumps between the various teeth, you know, 14, 15 or 16, 18. You're not going from a 15 to an 18 or a 14 to an 18. And I really like having those smaller jumps. Like you mentioned, you know, if I'm, if I'm riding a relatively flat road and hitting a a false flat or just even a slight hill, um, I, I really hate that feeling of, you know, well, this is a little tall. And then I downshift and it's like, now I'm spinning like crazy. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, that can be a, a real issue. And so mm-hmm. I'm still a fan of front derailers because you can have those smaller spaces between teeth. You have more. Uh, yes, you've got some duplicated gears, but that's not really the point. The point is that you can have these small steps between your gearing on a mountain bike. I get it. The, the terrain changes so much from one moment to the next, at least where I'm riding that having uh, a three or four tooth jump between gears is not a problem. Otherwise I'd be shifting every single minute. And Mm -hmm. that's just not the, that's not the experience that I have when I'm doing gravel riding or road rides. Um, And so I'm just somebody that would make me crazy but you know, all that said, I am a thousand percent with you on having lower gears. There were so many times when I was racing, where if I started to get dropped on a climb, if I simply downshift and spun more, I'd get myself back into the group, you know? So that having the right gear is for most of us, whether you know it or not, really the thing that's going to help you on a climb. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, it's worth saying that if you're coming from a mountain bike background, like you're mentioning with mountain biking, you don't know nuance of gears. And I was mentioning a lot about roadies and that's a lot of the people who are going into gravel, but there's certainly a lot of people who are coming from mountain or from six speed bikes. I work <laughs> with plenty of people who are coming from much older systems mm-hmm. who haven't who haven't gotten spoiled like you have with those perfect gears. Sure. Sure. And they often don't notice the difference. And so I said, hey, if you don't notice the difference, great. Or yeah. you're you're fine. If you are going to notice the difference like you, you would be driven mad. Well, then this would not be the right setup. Yeah. I mean, I also have 20 years of more experienced, faster cyclists going, dude, downshift, you need to spin. What the hell are you doing in that gear? So, uh, yeah. you know, I've been abused about riding in the right gear. Uh, and so it's it's a uh, there's something coursing through my blood at this point. <laughs> <laughs> there's other creative gearings, which I will talk about in future shows yeah. that involve Shimano. Uh, and, and other systems, but specifically Shimano. So there are other ways of achieving this kind of range with two by systems. Yeah, cool. So um, yeah, a lot of really interesting stuff going on with the technology now. 
I just, I like that there are just so many more options and mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's neat to like be out on a ride and see all the different things that people are doing to make sure that they have, you know, the right gears for getting through the terrain they have. Um, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Thank God for creative people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All righty. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by the Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on Support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for my poll. So as I mentioned, uh, it's January here. <laughs> it was 75 <laughs> on Saturday. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I was in a light base layer, bib shorts, and a short sleeve jersey. And it was sort of comical because I checked the weather before going out thinking, well, am I going to be wearing a long sleeve jersey or should I do arm warmers? Do I need arm warmers <laughs> in a fast? And, you know, I get the forecast and it was already 70 degrees at the point I was asking. It's like, oh, <laughs> thank you. You Alexa. feel like you're missing something going out like that. Oh, it was it was very weird. Uh, but anyway, I've got a friend uh, who I invited to come down from Healdsburg half an hour away and do a ride with me in Annadale State Park. Uh, she's primarily a roadie, uh, but she does have a mountain bike. But when I found out that she'd never ridden Annadale, I was just floored. It's like, how can you live in Sonoma County, have a mountain bike and not have lived, not have ridden in that place? Uh, (laughs) not, not guilting or anything. It's just like, we got to fix that for you. Holy cow. So, uh, for the ride, you know, the goal was not to go ripping fast or tearing my legs or anyone else's legs off. I just wanted to show her the park. Um, we took one of the easier routes in, uh, one of the fire roads. And then I took her on some of my favorite trails, you know, and we disappeared into Redwood forest. You know, there are these steep fern covered hillsides. And she's like, this is right here. Uh, uh, and then later on, I took her out into this huge meadow in the middle of the park. And while Okay, there weren't any deer this time. I often I do see deer out there. Uh, it was still a really impressive view. The meadow has a slight depression to it with a marshy area uh, at the lowest point and is surrounded by groves of oak trees. So it's just it's almost like you've got this football stadium, you know, but natural. Uh, it's such an impressive place. Um and it's also handily one of the places in the in the park where there's very little rock. Uh, so it made the riding, shall we say, less alien to her. Um, I'll admit my goal was not particularly grand. I just wanted to help her start to get familiar with what I think is a really tremendous place. And just, you know, as usual, get away from civilization. It sounds like you feel like you're very far away in that place. It 
really does. I mean, you, it's hard to believe that you're, you know, I mean, at most you're, you're maybe 40 minutes from, uh, from Santa Rosa, no matter where you are in the park. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Um, when we finished, one of the things she said to me was that she was amazed to know that there was such a big park and so close to town. She really had no idea. Uh, and then I told her we'd only seen about half the park. Uh, and the more I think about it, I think we'd seen less than half. <laughs> so she was all the more amazed. Uh, but it was a real delight to share this with her. I mean, she's she's been a capable cyclist for a long time. Um, and she's a, a chef and does this really neat stuff. Um, but we met at a, at a dinner at some friends and, uh, you know, it's like, wait, you've been here how long and you've never been where it's like, Oh, we got to fix that for you. Um, yeah. But one of I the things mountain biking is one of those sports. We really do need someone to take you to it. Oh, totes. It's, it's intimidating to go somewhere like that by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So you I can know. I really see this is where you need a friend who who knows a place to yeah. to be that tour guide. Yeah, absolutely. The wild thing I was thinking about it that night uh, afterwards. And what occurred to me was that I keep hearing friends uh, and acquaintances uh, grousing about how so many people have been, have bought bikes during the pandemic. And they have this concern that the moment life goes back to normal all those bikes will collect dust in people's garages. Why they're concerned with that, I'm not entirely sure, but that is the suspicion and or fear that I keep seeing articulated. Um, and, you know, I definitely know a few people who have purchased bikes, you know, like their first kind of nice bike. And I'm not really sure how much they've ridden those bikes. But I figured, you know, rather than criticize people who bought bikes, but don't really understand the cycling lifestyle, I figured, you know, I'm going to start getting in touch with them and taking them out for rides. I don't have anything I'm working toward right now. You know, I don't anticipate there will be grasshoppers anytime soon. So if I'm doing two hour rides, it's no harm. Uh, but I'm thinking, you know, this might be an opportunity to talk about cycling while we were on the ride which creates the opportunity to share with them some of my experience. And I know from my previous experiences, one of the things that really hangs up new cyclists is just, as you said, it's literally as simple as knowing where to ride. And, mm -hmm. you know, honestly, that does apply to the road as well. Um, there are roads around here that I'll see people use on Strava and I'll, I'll drill down on them. It's like, Oh, I never ride on that one. Well, I didn't get indoctrinated with a bunch of cool group rides here because we just don't have group rides in the same way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, showing people, well, you know, don't ride on Santa Rosa Ave, get on Sonoma Ave. Actually, they're perpendicular, so that's not great. <laughs> 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 but, you know, showing people, <laughs> yeah, you know, show, pointing out to people, hey, there's a bike lane over here, you know, that'll be safer for you. Um, and, I, you know, talking to them about, you know, what to wear, a little bit about hydration and fueling. Honestly, that strikes me as something that I'd really like to devote some time to this. Uh, I don't know whether to call it spring or winter. <laughs> um, well, until well, the rain great. comes yeah. back, we'll I call it spring. <laughs> whatever, whatever the weather, you get somebody outside and show them something new. 
Yeah. That's what yeah. they need. People aren't buying bikes because they want to put it in their garage and have it collect dust. They're buying yeah. bikes because they really would like to use them and they're scared of it. They're nervous about it. And I think it says a lot about the industry and other cyclists if they're not getting out there because mm-hmm. it means there isn't an avenue or a path to help them get out there. It shouldn't be on them to just go out and ride. It's intimidating. There are so many intimidating things about about cycling. And I know very, very capable, strong cyclists who during the pandemic chose not to ride very far because of the fear of getting in an Uber mm-hmm. or like what what if something happens because they simply don't feel comfortable changing a flat tire. Yep. So, OK, you have really strong, very capable cyclists who have done tons of big stuff who are now worried about going very far, take a new cyclist who's never done any of this stuff. I, 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 yeah. I can only imagine how they feel about it. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm going to start simply, but I want to get a feel for what sorts of things that they think will be fun. Um, but yeah, I'm going to reach out to some friends and, you know, start offering to do some uh, weekday rides if they can get out. Um, and if they can't get on on the weekdays, then we'll do some weekend stuff, but you know, let's help them out. They bought a bike. That's a pretty awesome thing. Let's help them, you know, find, find a a way to ride that works for them and their lifestyle and their sense of fear. It's such a shame that we really have to consider that, uh, to this degree now, but I, I see that, you know, just constantly in, in monitoring social media that concern about cars. Um, it's not going away. Yeah. Right. It's that. And there's everything I would be interested if our listeners could feedback some of the things that they think maybe there's some new people who are listening to this show. Cause I would imagine that people who are thirsting for information who are interested in using these bikes in their garages could be listening and would like to have some tips or information that would help them get out so i'm curious to know what people want to want to hear from us and obviously from the industry at large because you know very well there's a gap there and simply seeing a group of cyclists clad in lycra that looks like really expensive nice clothes that's that's intimidating Mm -hmm. and how is it you're going to bridge your gap from this is your first bike to getting on that group if you want to be there. And maybe you don't even want to be there. And that's fine. You might have another path that you've envisioned for yourself on your bike. How do you get to where you want to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well put. Well, you know, we've got a mechanism. Drop by the drop by any well, either of the sites at this point, since <laughs> we still have to host the the podcast on Red Kite Prayer. But, uh, you know, put a put a question in the comments and we'd be happy to entertain it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to Paceline Picks. What do you have this week? Because I was talking about the wireless RAM techie stuff, I decided to choose the Quark TireWiz air pressure sensors for for the press of valve stumps. Mm. This is geeky. This is truly nothing but geekdom, and I am going to admit it. I just bought a pair of these for my fat bike. These sensors together, one set is $200. So this is obviously a fairly frivolous way of spending your money. 
However, it's interesting because these little air pressure sensors are very accurate. This, they're made by Quark. So again, I have a lot of faith and confidence in Quark as a company. It also integrates very nicely with all of their other tech. So while my shifter levers and derailleur are talking to my phone and Garmin computer, now my tires get to talk to the computer as well as to what pressure they're running. I've been interested in trying to understand more about my fat bike tire pressure. And I think we all know in the world of cycling, the subject of tire pressure comes up at least once every conversation, no matter what kind of bike you're riding, maybe a little less in the road world, but definitely gravel bikes, mountain bikes and fat bikes. No one can figure out that ideal pressure to run at all times. So I've been running these handy little sensors to tell me more about what's going on with my bike. So I, I'm glad that there's something that tells me what's going on pressure wise at really low pressures. Mm-hmm. Most uh, gauges are not very sensitive at really low pressures, especially again, as we're talking about a fat bike, we're between one PSI and I mean, 10 is max on, on a fat bike. So a typical road, just a, a road uh, pump is going to read well over 160 PSI. So to see the nuance between zero and 10, you can't see. You don't know. There's no way of seeing that. So you have to have like a, a digital gauge or they also have, I believe it's AccuGauge has between zero and 15. So mm-hmm. you can see a little bit more nuance. But as any good scientist knows, if you say put a, t- a thermometer in in a beaker you are now changing the temperature of the water because you put that thermometer in while when you put your pressure your your pump or gauge on your tires you have now lost air in order to gauge how much air was in them so these tell you at every moment anytime you want to know how much pressure you have in your tires so truly when you want to geek out and you want to talk to your friends about how much pressure you have to the 0.1 PSI in your tires. The cork tire with air pressure sensors are what you should have on your, on your wheels. <laughs> and oh, another cool feature of these things is just crazy. They have LEDs that blink either red or green. And by your phone app, the SRAM app, which I happen to really like, another subject or another poll um, <laughs> you can set what the red and green means so in other words what's your ideal gate uh, pressure for both front and rear tires and then what's the range you want your tires to be able to be in and then if you're out of range those little led lights will blink red if it's in range it's going to blink green so now when you're riding, you don't have to be looking at your phone to see what your tire pressure is. You know immediately by looking at those gauges as to whether or not you're you're within range. It's it's handy on all sorts of levels I haven't even thought of yet, I'm sure. <laughs> if you are really interested in your tire pressure, uh yeah, this is pretty cool. I think they're really great on gravel bikes. Uh have you used them? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because when I was introduced to them, you know, it was a SRAM road product launch. Um, and I'm like, you know, the difference between a hundred and 105 to me isn't a big deal, but the difference between 30 and 35 is a very big deal. 
And yes, it is. I'm it far more likely to ping a rim through the tire on a rock on a gravel bike than I am with a mountain bike or a road bike. And so making sure that I'm right in a, a, the sweet spot of inflation on a, gr- on a good gravel tire is a, that's a big priority for me. And I think they're just really terrific for that. Yeah. yeah. All right. See that. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's not, it, it is useful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> pricey, but certainly useful. Right. right exactly. Yeah. It's a lot to pay to know your pressure. I just really like it that you can check in with the system at any point in time. And then you can also see how quickly you lose air pressure. So there's a lot you can learn and then like move them to another bike. Yeah. How quickly you're, you're, you can put it with a tube system or a tubeless system. Yeah. And then you can see if you have a problem with your system as well. Oh yeah. That's a good idea. Moving them around. I I put them on one set of wheels and left them there. (laughs) Yeah. I would imagine most people will end up doing that. Yeah. Alrighty. My pick this week is the Fly 6 rear-facing camera and light from Cyclic. Uh, They've got a new generation of this, Gen 3. It's coming in May, uh, so not quite here yet. I haven't gotten to play with it, but I'm hoping to. But I figured this would be a good time of year to give people a heads up. Last summer, a friend of mine got hit from behind by a car. The sheriff's department here wasn't going to do anything until he shared with them the video that proved that the car hit him from behind. And that really kind of twisted their arms uh, and forced them to take action. Given all the concerns so many of us feel for riding on the road these days, I don't think that dropping $229 on one of these is, you know, I don't think that's a splurge. I think it's an increasingly smart move. Um, And they've also improved these. Again, this is generation three. And so they've done things like uh, added some features like the fact that it won't stop recording when you fill the card. It simply loops. Uh, And if you go down, the software will lock the video and audio immediately before and after the event so that it can't be overwritten. Um, And also the new one will have a better mounting system than the original. Uh, I'll have a link for this in the show notes. I think it's a pretty dynamite product. And I need to make a habit to make sure that even as I move around different bikes, I move it from one bike to another. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a good system. I've, yeah. I've seen the, the footage from it's really nice, too. So if you wanted to pull an image out of it for the sake of sharing photos, not for you know, just just for the purposes of, of social or anything else, the, yeah. the quality is nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very high quality. Uh, I'm not going to get on into, you know, all the, all the various specs, but I've seen video produced of riders like in a group ride and riders jockeying for position behind the person with the camera. It's, you know, it makes for good watching. It really does. Um, it does. Yeah. But you know, the fact that this also has a light in it to help alert drivers, uh, even as they might be bearing down on you, uh, so it's, you know, it does have a preventative element as, as well as, uh, shall we say diagnostic? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Everybody come on, send some questions. Uh, we love answering them. If you've got an idea, please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Patria Vandermark, 
Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.